God, God, we love you. And we're thankful this morning to be able to, to meet in a place where, where we are free to worship, where we are free to, to share the gospel, free to express our love for you, and free to receive the love that you've given us. <clears throat> God, this morning as we continue this series, famous last words, would you just continue to speak through me? God, would you use my words? Would they be your words? Would they no longer be my words, God, my human words? They'd be your words for your people on your day. God, we need you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, we are in week two, week two of our series, Famous Last Words, in which we are kind of leading up to Easter, right? Looking at the, some of the famous last words that Jesus said as he was hanging on the cross. Right? Famous last words is kind of a, it's kind of, sometimes it's kind of interesting to look at online and you just, you just Google famous last words and there's a lot of people that come up and, and you can see the last words that they've seen. I went over some last week. Here's some for this week. Ready? So Marx, Karl Marx, last words are for fools who haven't said enough. That's what he said at the end of his life. Bob Marley said this. Money can't buy life. True. True words have never been spoken. Humphrey Bogart said this. This is kind of funny. I should have never switched from scotch to martinis. <laughs> Those were his last words. <laughs> Beethoven, this is the last one. Beethoven said this. He said, I will hear in heaven. Which I thought was kind of cool. You know, Beethoven. So this series, really, what we've done is we've, we've been taking a look at the, the last words of, of someone way more important than any of those people that I just talked about, of the last words of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as he's hanging on the cross, dying for our sins. Last week, we looked at the, the words in Luke, when Jesus is, is, is hung on the cross, and he says, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. And we talked about forgiveness last week, that Jesus is, is literally looking at the people who, who beat him and mocked him and, and whipped him and, and just put a crown of thorns on his head. He's bruised, he's bloody, he's beaten, he's dying, and he's able to look out onto these faces and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so our response to this, so how can we respond, right? We respond by, by forgiving those who have hurt us. And, and not only just forgiving them, but, but praying for restoration. And so this week, we look, at, we look at another phrase that Jesus says as he's on the cross. It's a different book. We're going to be looking in the book of Matthew today. Uh, different, different, uh, different phrase. But Matthew chapter 27 is where we're going to be, be today. If you turn there with me. Matthew chapter 27. If you're in one of our pew Bibles, it's on page 705. And again, just a little context as you're turning. I love the sound of Bible turning pages, but a little context. Jesus here has just gone through the trials, right? He's gone through this. He's, he's been beaten. He has been mocked. He has been hung on a cross between two, Matthew calls them rebels, right? And, then, and here's what we have, here's the words of Jesus that we have as recorded in Matthew, starting at verse 45. Matthew chapter 27, starting at verse 25. 
from noon until three in the afternoon. Darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma, lemma, sebachthani, which means this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and ordered Jesus to drink it. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Matthew records these words as as literally the last words that Jesus says right before he, he gives up his spirit. Literally the last words that Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How many of you ever asked why? I've just wanted to ask God why. All right, God, why, why is this even happening to me? God, why, why would this happen? Why is my family torn apart? God, why is this situation here? Why am I, why am I not getting a job? Why am, I've been praying for this for, for over a year now. I've been praying this for a decade now. God, what is going on here? Why, why, why? Why this? Why that? God, why? We want to understand, right? We want to understand what is going on. Why did this have to happen to my family? Why did this accident have to happen? Why do I feel this way? Why I've been praying for this for years. And, and, and sometimes it makes it worse, right? You're in a, in a small group or you're talking with someone and, and you're just praying hard for something. You've been praying for years and for decades for, for something that's going on in your life. And then something happens and, and you're in this small group and, and they begin to tell this story about... This one morning that they were late for, late for work and they were just praying that God would get there on time. And wouldn't you know it, as they're on their way to work, all the lights are green. And they get there. And wouldn't you know it, as they pull into the parking lot, someone pulls out of that front spot for them so they can just park right up front. Man, isn't God good? And you're just thinking, yeah, but where is he with me? God, why, why are you not answering? Why in the world would you answer that prayer? It's not the end of the world to be late for work. Why would you answer that prayer while seemingly to ignore this, this prayer that comes from the, like, the deepest part of who I am? I've been praying this for so long. Why? God, why? Why, why, why? And sometimes it's not even a time of pain that we ask these questions, right? We just have these questions. God, why, why would someone so young have to pass away? God, why in, in people's lives, why are there people who, who just want so badly to get married and to live a, a life together with their spouse and they just seemingly just can't? While at the same time, there are people who, who get married and promise to love each other forever and ever and end up just destroying each other. Right? Why, God, are there people who, who want so badly just to, to even have a baby? They try and they try and they try and yet it just can't happen. And yet it seems like there are other people who just bump into each other in the hallway and they're pregnant. Right? Why? Why do, why do things happen like this, right? Like, what, what is the purpose? God, God, why? 
We ask these questions. We ask why. And Jesus is here at a point as he's hanging on the cross. His last words, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why? Why? Have you been there? Have you been there at a point in your life? Maybe you're there right now. And you're just asking, why? I can tell you that you're in good company. I've been there. You've been there. I think all of us have been there at one point or another. Jesus was there. You read scripture and there's a lot of people who had a reason to, to question. Right? You think of Job. The whole book of Job. I just feel like Job could just ask, why? Why is this going on? Why is this happening? What is going on here? Right? You even look at, you look at Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. As he's thrown into the lion's den, it would be, it'd have been easy for Daniel to just ask, God, why? Why is this even happening? Like, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything wrong. And yet I find myself here in this lion's den. Right? You think about Peter and the disciples and John the Baptist who are, who are thrown in jail for nothing more than preaching the gospel. And it'd be easy for them to ask, why? God, why would this happen? And John the Baptist actually did ask that, right? John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus and basically says, are you the one who I was preaching about or should I be expecting someone else? Right? Like, why, why am I here? If I did the right thing and if I, if I nailed it, like I nailed it, right? I got you. I, I told them it was you and it's you. So then why? Why am I here? Right? There, it's, it's natural question for us to ask why. Why is it? Why, do, why does this happen? Why does this happen? And it's easy to have faith in the times in which things are going really good. When the sun is shining, it seems like you can do no wrong. But I love this imagery in, in Matthew. Right? It's between noon and three. Some, some translators say between the sixth hour and the ninth hour. That's between noon and three. Darkness comes. In the middle of the day, when the sun should be shining, right? really when the sun should be at its hottest point, at its highest point, darkness comes on the earth. And Jesus begins to ask, my God, my God, why? See, sometimes I think it's, it's easy to have faith in our lives when the sun is shining. It seems like the sun is at its highest point. We're getting a nice little golden tan. Everything's going well. But as soon as darkness starts to come, we begin to question, my God, my God, why? Why does this happen? Why? And really, the, I think the question is really this. How deep does your faith go? How deep does your faith go? Again, it is easy to have faith when everything is going well. It's easy to have faith when, when you just feel like, like God is moving in your life. When all, the, when all the lights turn green and you get the front parking spot, man, God is so good. Right? It's easy to have faith when, when, you, when you look in the face of a baby and you think, man, this is, this is just the cutest thing ever. It's, 
God is good. It's a little different when you look into the eyes of your boss and he says, I'm going to have to let you go. It's a little different when, when, you, when you look into the eyes of a family member who tells you some bad news or the eyes of a doctor who tells you some bad news. It's a little different to be able to say, man, God is good. One of my favorite stories of, of deep faith in Scripture is in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. Three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want to just, just read some, if not all, of this story because I love it. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. Just for scale, that's about 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. Okay? Tall, skinny. This is the statue. <clears throat> Set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and all peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound... Of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image of I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him. And I want you to just pay attention to this reply. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Right, they look into the face of the king and they say, we don't need to do this. My faith is, is deep enough that God is who he says he is, that I'm not going to do this. And then this, this next line is just amazing. Verse 18, but... 
But even if he does not, even if God doesn't save us like we think he will, even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And talk about some deep-rooted faith right there. They knew. They knew, who, they knew the God that they served. They knew what he could do. They knew who he was, right? They knew, what they, they, they knew God. They had faith. Talk about a dark time. Do this or you die. How many of us could say that we could honestly look into that face of an angry king saying, do this or you die, and say, I'm not going to defend myself against you. My God can come through. But even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to do that. And that's some deep-rooted faith right there. Right, King Nebuchadnezzar was furious with these three, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in there, into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was the hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I love this story. If, I, if you were to ask me, what, give me the, a story in scripture about people with, with a deep faith, a deep-rooted faith that is allowing them to do anything because they know God. My first person, my first, I guess, group of people would be this, this story. And mostly because of this one line. But even if he does not, even if God doesn't do what we think he will do, he is still God. And we will not bow to your idol. Amen. Amen. Man. See, it's easy to have faith, like I was saying, when, when the sun is shining. A little harder to look 
into the eyes of someone who, in this case, is saying, do this or die, and say, I'm not going to do that. And even if God doesn't come through, I still believe that he is God. And what would that even, what would that even look like for us? I think, I think in the midst of our pain, and in the midst of these dark times in our lives, I think we need to, to continually be reminding ourselves that God's perspective is a little different than our perspective. See, we see things in the right now. Right here, right now, we see things. We see a very small picture. God sees a much larger, grander, more beautiful picture than we could ever see. I think, I think the perspective matters. I think we need to, to remind ourselves that we're only seeing part of the picture here. Right? That God's ways are, are higher than our ways. God's infinite wisdom is much greater than our finite knowledge. Right? This, is, this is where we come. And in times of needs, in the time of questions, when we're asking God, why? My God, my God, why? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my family? Why are you not answering me? Where are you? God, why? That it's in these times when we need to lean in to the love and the grace and the mercy that we know to be true of God our Father. It's in these times of questioning, in the time of, of waiting, that we need to, as the psalmist says, be still and know that He is God. Amen. We need to lean into this. You know, back to the, to the story in Matthew chapter 27. I think we, we, we learn a lot about this story when we just look at the different perspectives that are going on here. Right, you read this story, and Jesus is, is hanging on the cross between two rebels, as Matthew puts it, criminals, as Luke puts it. He's hanging between these two. He's been mocked, he's been beaten, he's been whipped, he's bloody, he's bruised. He's very near death at this point. I mean, think about the perspectives here. I mean, think about the crowd. What's their perspective? They're the ones who are saying, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas, right? Crucify him, crucify him. They're, they're seeing the fulfillment of what they've desired. They wanted to see the crucifixion. Think about the, the disciples. What must the disciples be thinking at this point? Hold on a second. I gave up everything to follow this guy. I left my family, I left everything to follow Jesus, and here he is, hanging on a cross. Think about Jesus at this point. A lot of scholars say a lot of things as to why Jesus asked this question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus understood the plan. He understood that's what he came to do. Why would he ask why? That's the question. 
What we do know about it is that it fulfills a prophecy back in Psalm 22, 1. And we know that Jesus, to fulfill the prophecy, had to ask this question. Does it make sense that Jesus had to ask? Not, not necessarily to me, but he did. But then we look at, at, at God's perspective, God the Father's perspective. And I think there's, there's a couple insights here that I want to just talk about quickly. Here's, here's from God's perspective. Jesus asks, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If we look at it from, from God's point of view, as much as we can, right? I think there's two insights. Here's the first one. The Father forsook Jesus because Jesus became sin. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? God the Father forsook Jesus because he became sin. He became sin. If you turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I, I, I don't want you to forget this this morning. God hates sin. God absolutely hates sin. Wherever he finds it, sin must be judged. In Habakkuk 1.13, it says, God's eyes are too pure to look on evil. He cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Right? This is what Habakkuk said. And at this point in Jesus' life, Jesus has become sin for you and for me. And so God had to look away. God had to forsake Jesus in this moment because Jesus had become sin. I think Arthur Pink, he says this in, in one of his books. He says, So holy is God that mortal man cannot look upon him in his essential being and live. We're talking about the, the holiness of God here. That, that the holiness of God requires, makes it necessary that God cannot even, cannot even look upon sin. God cannot be with sin. And so as Jesus, God's son, takes on the sin of us all, God has to turn away. Because of God's holiness, he has to. And this is the same for, for any of us, right? In Scripture, there's a few people that, that saw God, right? The, uh, Abraham, he sees, sees the glory of God, and he says, I am but dust. Right? Job sees the, the glory of God. He says, I despise myself. Right? Isaiah sees, and he says, woe to me, I am ruined. Right? This is, these are the thoughts of the people who, who see the glory of God, who come into, who, who, who see the glory of God. They say, woe is me, I am ruined. Man, I am but dust. Right? Th th this is the, the holiness of God that is coming through here. So, so as God looks at Jesus, who has become sin for you and me, which we'll talk about in a second why, he has to look away. That God forsook Jesus because Jesus had become sin. Now why? Why is that? The Son was forsaken so that you and I could be forgiven. That's really what this comes down to this morning. The Son was forsaken so that you and I could be forgiven. Jesus Christ takes on your sin, takes on my sin, becomes sin, Amen. hangs on the cross, dies as sin. Amen. 
is buried as sin. On the third day, rises again, defeating sin and defeating death, defeating Satan. Why? So that you and I might have, once again, a right relationship with God. This is what it is all about. The Son was forsaken so that you and I might be forgiven. All right, 1 Peter 2.24 says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, for by his wounds you've been healed. Some versions say by his stripes you have been healed. By his wounds you have been healed. He himself became sin. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We can almost hear the answer of God because I love them. Because I love them. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because I want a right relationship with them. There's no other way. Because for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did it for you. And he did it for me because of his great love and his great grace and his great mercy. This is why Jesus was forsaken. I think my prayer for us this week as we kind of continue this journey towards Easter next week we'll look at this phrase it is finished and then the week following we'll look at today you'll be with me in paradise my prayer is that you would, you would begin to just think and reflect on Easter that you'd begin to, to reflect and to kind of try and come to grips with what this season actually means. There's a reason that it's a big season in the church. There's a reason that this is uh, really the season in the church. Because it's in this season that we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for you and for me. This is the season that John 3.16 comes to life. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. My prayer is that as you, as you continue this journey with me towards Easter, that you begin to reflect on what the sacrifice of Jesus means in your life. What does it mean, Jesus, well, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To realize, man, God, Jesus was forsaken so that I might be forgiven. Amen. Can you imagine how our lives would look? If we were just continually reminding ourselves of this, I'm forgiven. I'm loved. Jesus came for me, and he came for you. And he came for the person at your workplace that you've been thinking about. He came for that person in your family that you've been praying for. He came for all of us. 
that we might come to know him and love him. Let's pray this morning. God, we love you. And this morning as we read again uh, another story of another gospel of how your son was, was killed on the cross and the final words that he spoke. God, would we just continually be reminded this week and next week as we, as we journey towards Easter together of what the season means for us. Of the fact that, that Jesus died for you or if Jesus died for us. Jesus died so that we might have eternal life with you. May we be reminded over and over and over again. And may we see the world, those people that we come in contact with at the, the grocery store and our workplaces and, and the gas station and wherever we may find ourselves. May we see them through that lens, God, that you sent your son to die for them as well. May we love people accordingly. God, we give you thanks and we give you praise this morning. You are good, even in the times that we question. Pray this in your son's name. Amen and amen. Would you stand with me this morning? As we leave, I just want to pray a blessing over you. Let's receive this. God, <clears throat> may the God of all peace and all grace and all glory go with you this week. May he continually remind you of his love for you made evident in the, in the crucifixion of his son, Jesus Christ. May you receive that love, and may you pass that love on through you, through your life. Go in peace this week. Amen and amen. Go in peace.